0: And I'm so thankful that Brandon read that passage, so I don't have to read all those names. I just left that up to him. Unfortunately, he was given that great pleasure because Blake bailed out on them this morning. But as we enter this Advent season, I wonder how many of us have even thought about the Advent season. and I plan on asking you the same question this morning that I asked you a year ago. As I quoted then, I quote now the great visionary Buddy the Elf. The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. The promises of Christmas are the promises of happiness. The promises of Christmas are the promises that this is the most wonderful time of year. For we are waiting with anticipation as the, we go into this change of season from this happy fall, y'all, to the Christmas. Some of us jump into Christmas before the turkey is even cold on the table. and We jump into this new season with Christmas music playing full blast. But I wonder if we've actually asked ourselves where we get our joy and our cheer. Where do we find the hope that Advent offers us? Or do we so stuff ourselves with cheer and joy that we are merely masking our hurt and our pain? Do we so intoxicate ourselves with Christmas that for one month we might block out the reality that each of us face in our lives, that we are overcome with worry and dread and fear? I don't say this to extract the cheer and the joy of Christmas, but I say this because I want us to actually know it is okay to be truly hurting, and that we don't have to paste a smile upon our face. I say this because I wonder how many of us are truly lost, but we have clothed ourselves with the dress of Christmas because we don't know what else to do. I wonder how many of us might actually be experiencing crisis. You might actually be overwhelmed with the effects of the fall of Adam in the garden. That you might actually be overwhelmed by the effects that you have rebelled against the king of creation. And that you no longer fear him. But you have just clothed yourself with more Christmas punch instead. Here at Christ Pres, I want us to be intentional in our celebration of Advent. Advent is a season set apart, set apart from our normal worship to remind us that we are a waiting people. During Advent, we are cultivating an awareness of everything that God has done in the past, everything that He has promised us in the future, and everything we still wait for. During Advent, we are asked to place ourselves in the shoes that the Old Testament people wore as they awaited God's promises for thousands of years. And as we light each Advent candle, we are growing in our anticipation that God's final plan of redemption might be revealed in Christ's second Advent. We don't have to imagine very hard what the Old Testament saints felt For we have now been waiting for 2,000 years for Christ to return. We are waiting for when he comes and swallows up death forever. For when he will come and wipe away every tear. We are waiting for God to come and dwell among us for all eternity. Are we ready? Or are we too worried about what's going on around us? Are we too caught up in the affairs of this world? Are we too caught up with what we want to experience before Christ returns? So during this Advent season, we are going to be walking through what some have called the book of Emmanuel. We're going to be walking through Chapters 7, 9, and 11 of the book of Isaiah. We're going to go back and see how God promised that he was going to be faithful to his promises. But what you might not expect is that you might not remember who those promises were given to. They were given to God's people. But in what life context did they receive these promises For what you might not remember is that they, too, were caught up in the affairs of the world. They, too, were caught up with dealing with their own life's problems. And unfortunately, they decided they did not want to wait upon God's promises. They thought that they could save themselves from the circumstances they found themselves in. But what I want us to see this morning, specifically in Isaiah 7... Is that when God gives his promises of hope, he actually gives these promises to people who are unfaithful? He gave these promises to Israel's king who was acting out of faithlessness. He wanted nothing to do with God or God's promises he wanted nothing to do with being saved by divine grace it was this king and it was that people that god offered his most gracious promises of christ that he would still come to his people in the most miraculous manifestation of grace that his people will ever know. This is the good news of the gospel. The gospel shines its light into the darkness of our sins. God comes to us when we wanted nothing to do with him. He saves us by sheer grace because of the magnitude of his love for his people. And what I want to see this morning is that this prophecy and this message of Isaiah is the same for us as it was back in 700 B.C. If we do not have faith in God, judgment is coming. But if we do have faith in God, his promises of hope are true. And so the question for us this morning, will we have faith? In God's promises. For this is where we find these messages of judgment and hope. This is where we start in Isaiah 7. Ahaz, the king of Judah, is being overthrown by the northern kingdom of Israel and by the kingdom of Assyria. This great prophecy of this virgin who would come, or this of this birth of a virgin who would come, who would be called Emmanuel, was given in a t- context of outright war. Judah is the southern kingdom when the Israel's kingdom split. The northern kingdom consisted of the ten tribes of the north and was called Israel. The southern kingdom was, the, was two kingdoms, which was called Judah. Here, the northern kingdom is called Ephraim. Ephraim, whose king was Pekah, Is the northern kingdom was aligning itself with Syria to bring destruction upon the southern kingdom to take away the Davidic king and put their own puppet king in its place. And this is the message that Isaiah brings to Ahaz of Judah. We see it in verse four. Be careful, be quiet, do not fear. Isaiah, with his own child, which meant the remnant shall return or the remnant shall remain, comes and gives this message to Ahaz. I see what's going on around you. Do not lose heart because of what's going on. Do not lose heart because it might seem as though they will overcome you. And this is what Isaiah proclaims. Thus says the Lord God, it shall not come to pass. Yet, if you are not firm in the faith, you will not be firm at all. God's message to Ahaz is, are you prepared to trust in the promises of God? And unfortunately, we hear of Ahaz's legacy in 2 Kings chapter 16. Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. But he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his sons as an offering. According to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under the trees. If you are not firm in your faith, you will not be firm at all. This was Isaiah's message to this king. And this king wanted nothing to do with God. This king, who was supposed to be God's representative to God's people on earth, and was a representative of the people before God, had wanted nothing to do with God and his promises. We read in verses 8 and 9 who the head of Syria is. It was Damascus, its capital. And who was the head of the capital? was Raisin, the king. Who was the head of Ephraim? Well, it was Samaria, the capital. And who was the head of Samaria? It was Ramallah, or Pekah, the king. And so Ahaz should be asking himself, who is the head of Judah? The answer should be Jerusalem. And who is the head of Jerusalem? And he better not answer himself. His answer should have been, It is Yahweh who dwells in the midst of the city. Yahweh was their true king. Yahweh was their only hope of defeating the battles against their foes. Yahweh was Ahaz's only hope for flourishing and survival. And he's given the same message that we heard last week from Paul in Ephesians 6. Stand firm in faith. So we have to ask ourselves the same question this morning. Are we prepared to stand firm in trusting God even when things seem overwhelming? When we are despised by the world around us? When we are hated? When we're threatened? When we're tempted to despair, do we stand firm or do we shake as the trees of the forest before the wind? Are we prepared to trust in God's promises in all circumstances? Are we prepared to have faith in God even when it seems as though he's not being faithful? Are we prepared to have faith in God himself? Because this is the reality of this story. These are all things Ahaz already possessed. Yahweh had already redeemed his people out of Egypt. Yahweh had already brought them into the promised land that flowed with milk and honey. Yahweh had already provided them with a Davidic king who he promised would reign forever. And yet what we find is Ahaz only trusted in himself. He only trusted in his own resourcefulness. And instead of trusting in God, he made alliance with the king of Assyria. Isaiah is standing before the king. He's giving a message which whose only response should be a no-brainer. Right? Our king is the God of the universe. Where should I take my alliance? That's a no-brainer. But this is exactly what our sin does to us. It distorts our perspective on what's true. It distorts our perspective on the way of righteousness. It distorts our perspective on the way of life. Because this should be a no-brainer. But when we face our sin, we are fooled time and time again. We hide in fear of becoming overwhelmed, and we do not trust in the promises of God. And so, what does Ahaz do in response to this message? He forsakes the Lord. But listen to this. Listen to this grace. Listen to God's goodness. Listen to his mercy. God sends another message. God goes after him yet again in verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol and as high as the heavens. Ask anything and I'll give it to you to show you my faithfulness to you. Parents, think of this. Which of you wouldn't be willing to do anything to show your children how much you love them? What would you do to keep your children from going off the rails? What would you do if for one second your children didn't think you had their best interest in mind? You would do anything to show them your love for them. Yahweh asks, ask anything from the Lord your God. And what do we see? Ahaz refuses yet again. And unfortunately, Ahaz's response sounds pious. He sounds sincere. He actually quotes Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And hopefully this rings true in your ears. This is exactly what Jesus says to the serpent in the desert when he's being tempted. But Ahaz isn't speaking to the serpent. Ahaz is speaking to Yahweh, his God. And as Alec Moitier says, Ahaz is doing the devil's work by quoting scripture for his own purposes and thereby thereby displaying himself as a dogmatic unbeliever. God has graciously offered him a sign, a sign to persuade him of his great love for him. And yet, because Ahaz's blindness by his sin, refuses God's sign and promises. Ahaz wants no part of him. He believes he can handle everything on himself. He believes he can overcome his adversaries. He believes he doesn't need God's promises to flourish and have life. And yet again, I ask, doesn't that sound a lot like us? Think about how many times we face our own sin and we're faced with trouble and evil and how God always promises to offer us a way out of our sin. And yet what we realize is we just love our sin too much. We've already made our decision. We want to sin. And if we would just think about it for five seconds, we know it won't satisfy. We know it won't lead to life. We know it won't heal. We know it won't comfort us. We know it won't bring us the joy and the cheer or restoration that Christmas promises, yet we are so blinded by our sins that all we do is shut the door on God's blessing. And so... We hear of Isaiah's prophecy. Despite Isaiah or Ahaz's sin, despite his unbelief, this is what the Lord proclaims. Hear then, O house of David, it is too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Ahaz has come face to face with all God has promised. And we typically hear this promise as a promise of hope. Yes, the virgin birth is promised. Yes, this points us to Christ. But do we understand the context in which this is coming? Because if we read this properly, this isn't a promise of hope for Ahaz. This is a promise of condemnation. He had rejected God's sign, and God said, I'm going to give you a sign anyway. And when this sign comes to pass, he shall eat the curds of honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such a day as has come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. What will happen before this boy comes? You will lose your kingdom and you will lose everything because of your faithlessness. The very people that Ahaz bargained with, made an alliance with, These very people that he thought would bring salvation actually bring his destruction. Because of his faithlessness. Because the faithlessness of this king, all of God's people face the coming day of the Lord. We see this four times. Verses 18, 20, 21, and 23. These are the days of judgment that are coming. The armies of the earth will come like little insects compared to God. But these armies will come and they will settle in the land of promise. They, like a razor, will shave off everything that you have. And with pure irony, Isaiah proclaims, And in that abundance, you will have nothing but curds and honey curds are what poor people ate. And think of this description, as I said earlier. The promised land was a land promised to be flowing with milk and honey. And yet here, all that is left is curds and honey for poor people. Barely enough to satisfy. Then Think of this imagery also. These thorns and these thistles. This was the devastating curse in the garden that was supposed to be lush with life. And because Adam rebelled in sin, God promised to curse the earth and make his work hard and cover the earth with thorns and thistles. And hear this. In this passage, he actually speaks the you in plural. It's a a, um, plural pronoun. So he says, Hear this, all y'all, Isaiah says. If you do not trust in the Lord, this is what's coming. Waste, destruction, thorns and thistles of judgment for your sin and lack of faith. Ahaz's mind had already been made, and he refused God's sign. Because if God gave him a sign, he had to have believed it. And so he refused and rejected the sign outright. He trusted in horses and chariots rather than the name of the Lord his God. And so we must ask ourselves, how do we see ourselves in this world? What do we do when we felt overrun? When we feel persecuted? Who do we believe can truly save us? And yet we might ask ourselves another question. How does this prophecy have any hope? The hope lies in despite Ahaz's faithlessness, What God promises will still come to pass. Despite Ahaz's failure as a king of his people, God promises still to come to his people to come and live in their midst, to rule over them, to comfort them, to find them in the quote-unquote wilderness, in the destruction and destitution of their sins. He promises to come into their darkness in the person and the work of Jesus and save them when they didn't and couldn't save themselves. This prophecy is a prophecy of hope, because God promised a better king than Ahab. God presents us with the solution to our helplessness. And he did it by bringing a helpless child born in poverty to lavish us with the riches of his grace. He sent us a king who would not reject his promises, who would follow him by faith. Yet it was this king... Who followed him perfectly. Who loved him unconditionally. Who did everything that he was asked. Who stood firm in the faith. Yet it was this king who suffered the judgment of God. So that we wouldn't have to. That even in our faithlessness. God might look to us and call us his own. Because our faithful king, Emmanuel, came to go to the cross for us. This is why we have hope, joy, and cheer during Christmas. God saw our unfaithlessness and he sent his son to bear our sins that we could not bear ourselves. God saw us and knew I know you're going to be unfaithful. So I'm going to send the solution. I'm going to send the faithful one to bear my judgment for you so you never will. And the question for us this morning are you ready to follow this king? He's coming, just as he was promised. To Isaiah, to come and fulfill the promises of God. He has promised to us, He will come again. Do not lose sight of our hope and our joy. Follow Christ by faith. God was faithful to His promises, He came and He rescued us from our sins. He is the faithful one. Trust in his promises. As Buddy the Elf said, as he prescribed to us, this is why we as God's people sing loud for all to hear. Because God saw us in our destitution and our sin, and he sent Christ to redeem us. He sent a helpless child to bear his judgment. He came, and they called him Emmanuel. They also called him Jesus, because he saves his people from their sins. Amen. Let's pray.